0: Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Yesterday, I took a day and headed up to Solvang, actually Friday night, and uh, I was involved in a bike, an organized bike ride. There was a 100 miler, and then there was what they call a metric century, which is 100 kilometers, and that's the one that I chose to do this time. Um, and it involved 68 miles this time around, a little bit more than an actual metric century, and it was 7,400 feet of elevation gain. We pedaled up Figueroa Mountain, uh, and it was, um, it was an epic day. Uh, and uh, I, uh, believe it or not, actually slept pretty well last night. <laughs> but I'm bringing it up because of something, you know, one of the, uh, Judy and I had some friends meet us on Friday night, and one of them said, are you going to talk about anything on the bike ride on your sermon? And I didn't think that I would. There's a lot, of, a lot of lousy news out there these days, and we kind of get worn down, ground down by it uh, here and there. I got to the aid station about six or seven miles from the finish line, um, and uh, it was about 1.30, 2 in the afternoon, and the race had started at 8 in the morning. Um, and there were about a dozen and a half to two dozen eighth graders in Bright orange shirts who were there giving out water and food and things that people might need along the way. They'd been there all day long And I talked to their teacher off to the side and and uh, she said I said is there a tip jar somewhere? She says no, no, we're volunteering from we're from one of the local schools And we're just out here teaching the spirit of volunteerism uh, out here and I tell you, these kids were phenomenal. They were all smiling. They were all encouraging. They were all trying to boost up the guys and the, the women that were riding. Uh, and I just wanted to tell you that, uh, you know, take heart. Things are going to be OK. Um, we do have a future out there somewhere. Um, and don't believe everything you're reading on the, on the web or seeing on the news. The world isn't that far gone yet. That's what I wanted to tell you. That's the good news. The bad news is, in the midst of all that good news, there is some pretty rough stuff happening. How many people here have a smartphone in their pocket? It's a good time to remind you, make sure you're on silent. Uh, But while I'm doing that, um, I want to be your pastor this morning. And I want to remind you that the smartphone is not only a way for you to access the things you want in the world, the restaurants that you want to make a reservation, or to look up a phone number, or to check out something on a website and to get information. It, the information doesn't just flow from your phone into the web where you want to uh, go exploring. We live in an age now where the information flows through, from other people through your phone, and into you. We are living in the age of artificial intelligence. It's a, it's a funny time. Some friends of ours had an experiment and said, watch this, and they set their phone down and, without it even being turned on and started talking about garlic french fries. And then one of them opened up their Facebook account and in the banner ads right on the side of their thing, looking for a good place to find garlic french fries? We're being coached constantly. The culture around us is constantly bombarding. Now, I get 18 to 22 minutes with you on Sunday morning to talk to you about the gospel. But who's ever running that other show gets 166 and a half hours a week And what they're talking about is not the Jesus stuff, by and large. I'm telling you, I want you to be more mindful. And that's what Paul was trying to tell the Thessalonian church. And by the way, over lunch today, I want you to look your spouse or your friend or whoever you're with at lunch in the eye and say the word Thessalonians three times really fast. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. Uh, Make sure if you're with somebody who's doing that, that you take video of them doing that while they're... um. And if you add 2nd Thessalonians or 1st Thessalonians, it gets even better. The Thessalonian church was in a a remarkable place. Now, Athens uh, in ancient Greek culture had the market cornered on philosophy and development of the mind. And Alexandria... It was a great far-flung city that just had um, glory ringed around it. Thessalonica was was not the preeminent city that Athens and Alexandria were, but it was at a crossroads. And as the Romans opened up the roads into the rest of the world, all kinds of influence came to Thessalonica. They were people worshiping gods from ancient Mesopotamia, like isis or o- Osira. there were people worshiping the gods of the ancient greeks there was the imperial roman emperor cult where you had to come and put a pinch of incense on an altar and there was this sort of strange mixture of all these cults floating all the way, all around through thessalonica and they became cults that were not only statements of belief but they were Statements about where we connected in society, they much like, um, and I have to be careful here, but much like the Rotary Club or Kiwanis Club or something else, they became avenues of networking all through the culture in Thessalonica. You could get ahead in business by knowing somebody who was connected to somebody who was connected to somebody, and people who worshipped in these cults tended to band together in order to improve one another's lives. Now, I'm saying all of this because the Christian cult, if you will, as it was perceived, was catching all kinds of persecution. Because the basic message of Paul was that these other cults were false gods. We need to set down the idols and the false gods. We need to walk away from them. And if you happen to be of Jewish descent, Paul was saying, we're moving beyond just doing good works and we're relying instead on the grace of God. And so the Thessalonica... The church in Thessalonica was being persecuted by um, Jewish people. They were being persecuted by secular people and by uh, worshipers of these other cults. They were being cut off from commerce. They were going through a hard time. Some of them were being physically injured. It was a rough time for them. And in the middle of all that, somebody got the bright idea to forge a letter from the apostle Paul himself and say, oh, and by the way, that resurrection that you're looking forward to, it's already happened and you missed it. Can you imagine? Ah, we, have all, we have all experienced this in a train station or in a, in a, in a plane station. I remember the very first time I rode Amtrak, I didn't realize that at Fullerton, where I was going to board the train, the southbound train boarded on track two and the northbound train boarded on track one. And as I came into the station right on time, I kept waiting, waiting, where's my train? And there was a big Metrolink train parked going the other direction, right in the place where I expected my train to be. And when it finally pulled out, I saw my train on the other side. (sighs) So I ran up the stairs, I ran across the bridge, I ran down the other side, and as I leaped off the last four steps onto the landing, the train pulled out and the conductor waved at me through the door. (laughs) And then she just shrugged her shoulders and I thought, oh man. So it put me off. You know, that was an awful feeling, to know that the whole rest of my day was going to be behind by an hour now because I missed the train. And that's just missing a train. Can you imagine putting up with all the persecution, putting up with all the hassle, all the insults, and all the rest of it as a a new Christian convert, saying, I can do this. I can put up with this because I know the Lord is coming soon. I can put up with all of this. And the Thessalonian church, they were living with the expectation that Jesus returned, the great day of the Lord was going to happen any second now. And so holding their breath, gritting their teeth, marching onward through the persecution, they were waiting and waiting and waiting until the word came, the train has already pulled out and you missed it. Who would write such a letter like that. And so Paul writes back to them. And this second letter says to them, there are a number of reasons how you can know that it hasn't happened yet. I didn't write that letter. And it doesn't matter who wrote that letter. Use your own minds and think this thing through. It's not going to happen until the the lawless one is revealed. Now, those who are in our contemporary days have taken this second chapter of 2 Thessalonians and they have made an entire career out of talking about whether the church is going to get raptured before some great tribulation or will be left uh, to go through a tribulation and this and that and the other. And I want to tell you again, I can... And this is your pastor speaking as a, as a person now, but I can find no weight or merit for the notion of a rapture in the, in the biblical scriptures. It's an idea. It's a theory. I won't take the time that it would take to disprove it all, but I would walk you back with me to Jesus who said that when the Son of Man comes, it will be like lightning that flashes from the east to the west. It will be unmistakable. There will be no question in anyone's mind. And this is how Paul was teaching the Thessalonian church. He said of that day and of that hour, nobody knows. It's it's appointed by God and whoever God reveals it to. He told a story about how the kingdom of God is like a man who goes into the uh, fields and he sows seeds before they plow the seeds under so that they'll grow. And some of the seeds fall in a rocky path and they never even get a chance to grow. And some of the seeds fall among shallow soil and they sprout right up and then they wither because they have no roots. And then some of the seeds fall along the edge of the field where all the gleanings were left, and the weeds and the black-eyed Susans and everything else that are growing there choke them out. And even though they had a good start, the cares and the concerns of the world choke it off. And then some of the seed, most of the seed, much of the seed falls in good soil. And the roots go down, and there's clear space to grow, and it grows and it produces fruit a hundredfold or more. Paul is essentially asking the Thessalonian church, when you look at the tribulations, the other things happening around you, you have to put them in the right perspective. The world we live in is the way that we know whether our seed has fallen (laughs) on rocky soil or on shallow soil or among thorns and thistles. Because the living out of our faith is what reveals the purity of our faith. God has given us a great gift in planting the seed of God's word deep within us. Now, how is it growing in your life? And how will it grow in my life? That is a question worth pondering. Oh, but we are being seduced by this present age. I heard a remarkable uh, little bit of uh, speaking from a man who's not even a Christian just a psychologist observing the current age, and he said, we've come to a bizarre kind of place where we have replaced the word happiness with the word pleasure. So that we're no longer pursuing happiness, but we're just headlong in pursuit of pleasure. And I've been meditating and thinking on that for a month or more. And the other day I turned on my television and there's, a car, there's a, a, an automobile manufacturer who's running a Christmas commercial already. And that's not the most of, <laughs> offensive part of it. It's a series of people who are walking into their driveway and looking at a brand new automobile tied up with a bow that they have purchased for themselves and saying, I deserve this. This is my gift to myself. There's not even, I was offended a few years ago when they tried to say, hey, if you're not really showing up in any way for Christmas unless you buy your wife a car. That was bad enough. But they're not even buying their wives a car anymore. They're just buying a car for themselves because why would we do anything else with that money? It's there for us, and we are pursuing pleasure. Now, here's what this psychologist was saying. Happiness produces an enzyme in us that's called serotonin. Serotonin helps us with weight loss. It helps calm us down. It makes us feel even and steady. Serotonin produces a wealth of well-being in us. Pleasure, on the other hand, produces endorphins. And endorphins last about that long in the grand scheme of things. It's a quick hit of adrenaline, a a short burst of euphoria, and then it's over. And then guess what has to happen? Like a drug addict, we have to go get more and more and more and more. So that all that an advertiser has to do is create a general sense of dis-ease and of well, uh, a general sense of unwellness, and they can sit there and start selling their products to us. And the products, it feels really good to get that new thing, to take and... Click the mouse and say, oh, in a few days, it's going to be like a little birthday present for me. I'm going to get something on my front doorstep from Amazon, and I'm going to open it and say, oh, this is so much fun. And that will last about four and a half minutes. And then it's back to the computer to click on the next thing. Are you caught in a cycle like that? Every time we do this without thinking it through, without praying it through, the weeds come in to choke a little more and the roots shallow up. Paul was telling the Thessalonians that the suffering is there so that the purity of our faith can be revealed to to the world. In other words, the suffering that we endure for Christ is God's gift to us to put ourselves on display as a witness to the world. The suffering is there to be endured. And it's also there because it aligns us with the life and the purpose of Christ himself. And on a Veterans Day weekend, there probably is no better way to think about all of that. And to surrender the tyranny of my own self, which wants to buy me a car, and to receive instead the gift of what Christ wants to give me which is new life, eternal life. For I have come, he said in the Gospel of John, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. How are we to live in a world such as this? We are to live in such a way that we no longer spend ourselves pursuing the things we don't have, but we learn instead to find the joy, contentment, peace, and happiness with what we already have at hand. Friends, families, brothers and sisters in Christ, a powerful witness to give to the world, and yes, ultimately, the promise and hope of heaven. How long are we left to to be like this in this world? Who knows? Really, who knows? As I have said to you before, I say it again. Anyone who tells you that they know that the Lord is coming tomorrow or the next day or the next day after that is trying to sell you something. And let's have done with that. Instead, let us submit ourselves to Christ. Because the saying of the sinner's prayer on the day of our conversion, the giving of our life to Jesus is a birth. It's not the end of a story. It's just the beginning. And the Holy Spirit of God was given to the world to move us from that place of birth to our maturity in Christ. It's something the theologians call sanctification. For we are being sanctified, purified, so that we become like Christ. So that, uh, as Carol was talking about heaven, we begin to see its glimpses here and now and know in our heart about them. My deep prayer for all of you, and I have shared this with you before as well, is that all of us fall asleep one day in this world and wake up in the fullness of Christ's presence And we won't know the difference. Friends, that can't be purchased from Amazon. It has to come up well up from within. It means that we have to submit every day to having a transformational encounter with the living God through the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and from the Son so that the world is no longer able to transform us into its image but we are transforming the world and its dominions into the kingdom of god it happened one more time yesterday i heard somebody sister in christ sharing with somebody else a waitress in this case, about God's kingdom, and they got to talking, and I thought, good for them. They're having a witness. And then at some point, I got up and excused myself for a minute, and I came back, and as I was sitting down at the table, I heard my sister and friend say, well, God wants to give us pleasure. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? And I was too tired from my bike ride. I didn't want to get into it but I thought the lawless one is not waiting out there for you. He's coming in. He wants our buildings. He wants our words. He wants our hearts. We've got to keep at this until we reveal him so that he no longer has any power, so that the power of Christ's word, life, blows him away. Check yourself this week. See if you're pursuing pleasure or if you're receiving the happiness of Christ. Have yourself a transformational encounter. A merry little Christmas will come later on. Amen? Amen.